I got told by the club owner, 2000 no, 2006, I had started coming in 2006, and gay marriage was legal in Canada in 2005. And I got told by the club owner not to come out on stage. It gets better cause it has to get better. We're all made of human. Thank you so much for listening to the Made of Human podcast. My name is Sophie Hagen. I'm your host. I'm a, stand- a Danish stand-up comedian who lives in the UK. This episode is recorded in Melbourne with an American what uh the made of human podcast is a podcast in which i speak to people about how to do life well initially i set out to find out how to do life turns out spoiler alert no one has any fucking idea how to do life so this episode oh well this podcast often ends up just being me feeling a bit less alone with my weirdnesses uh with other people and that's quite nice so thank you for tuning in this is um deanne smith deanne smith I mean, how cool is that? That's pretty cool, I think. Um, I'm very excited for you to hear this. I'm going to quickly say one thing before I let you listen to it. And that is, if you're in the UK, in London specifically, I'm going to be doing live episodes of the Made of Human podcast at the Soho Theatre. And we have announced the guests. So I'm just quickly going to say, Monday the 2nd of July, my guest is Body Party Panda, also called Megan Crab. 3rd of July, it's Susan Kalman. 4th of July, it's Jesse Cave. 5th of July, it is Danny Wallace. And on the 6th of July, it's Travis Alabanza. All very Mopardy kind of people, all very cool people, people that we want to have a nice chat to. So please go and buy tickets for that. A lot of them are already sold out, but there are still available tickets. And uh, I'm so excited about this. I'm very excited. So go do that. Um, sign up for my newsletter at sophiehagen.com to find out where I'm gigging. Uh, I'm going to be doing quite a few London gigs. I'm going to have a thing happening in Edinburgh that's not a show, but it's still a thing. And, um, oh yeah, and I will, uh, I, I, it's hard because I'm recording this a bit ahead of time, but I'm pretty sure I will have released my, uh, my new, uh, stand up comedy show <laughs> by now. So all of that is on sophiehagen.com and, um, yeah, I, I'm just going to let you listen to this. If you're a new listener, listening because uh, uh, you saw that Deanne was on, hi, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being a new listener. <laughs> I hope you'll uh, like the uh, the sound of it and that you will maybe want to listen to more of them. I don't know. But uh, either way, please enjoy <laughs> all of you. Uh, old listeners, new listeners, uh, people who only listen to this because they hate me and they want to hate listen to me uh, make a podcast and sound weird. Welcome to you too. Please enjoy this episode uh, where I chat to the amazing Deanne Smith. That's all you need to know. Um, oh yeah. Uh, talk for a bit. Uh, so this is pretty much what I'm going to sound like. Yeah. I don't think I'll shout or whisper, but if I do, I'll do my best. It's absolutely Use perfect. It's perfect. I really want to start by asking you about your podcast. I haven't heard a lot of it, but yeah, it's, I, and I know you haven't done it for a while, yeah. but some of the stuff I've heard was you talked about community and you reached out to your listeners yeah. as a community. I reached out and then I ditched them. <laughs> yeah, tell me why I haven't you, done it in a tell while. Tell me why you abandoned yeah. us. No, okay, so tell me, what was I saying? Hey, guys. Well, you were just, you, the, the feeling I had from listening was that it wasn't just you going... 
hello the whole world you were going like hey you are my people you are listening to this and it's oh, I felt I was like this is exactly what I want yeah from like doing a podcast That's is having so my people you're gonna make me cry um it's way too early for that yeah no it's true because um I would get a lot of great feedback I shouldn't I shouldn't put it in the past like in my mind in my heart I want to do it again I just uh Oh, we could talk about that more in a minute. I think it was a bit of a self-sabotaging move, actually, that I stopped doing it. But, um, Ooh. yeah, how deep do we want to get immediately? We want to get so um, <laughs> deep. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but, yeah, I would get, like, a wonderful feedback from people in, um, you know, emails, and people would reach out to me, and, you know, just every, like, all kinds of people. Like, I'm a 16-year-old gay kid in the Midwest, and my, I'm not out to my parents, but I listen to your podcast from, like, and then I made this friend. We only know each other virtually, but there's this guy, Patrick World who ended up sending me if ever I would reference something and I was like so we should make a theme song he's like a really great musician and then he would just like send me tracks and we were kind of building this thing and this guy's uh you know like a dad in the suburbs and um so it did it did feel like a community when I did it and I really liked that I think I got in my head about it and I got like How so? I think I just got and I it's just something that I do that I wish I didn't do but I think I got in my head about like how is this interesting even though people were telling me it was interesting but I'm like oh why am I talking why do I deserve to have the microphone why are people listening to me um which is such it's just something that I do that I notice like I try to notice you know male comedians don't do this for the most part Mm -hmm. uh why do I have to get in my head about it and people don't have to listen yeah and people don't have to listen don't have to listen (laughs) and that is such a lovely thing also it's a good thing to be able to remind them of if they do get pissy about it yeah to go hi I don't remember forcing you to uh, to actually listen to this. Have you gotten negative feedback or people? Oh, not like, really. No, yeah. not. Re- I mean, I don't think. I think trolls and stuff. I think they mainly stay away from books and podcasts, right? Because <laughs> it's too. Ma- there's too many words yeah. for them. It's too much. They like tweets and Instagram. They like mm-hmm. short things they can react to immediately. They would never listen to a whole podcast to puncture holes in it. Yeah, you're right. I That's think. interesting. I think it's, it's I feel like it feels a bit like a safe a safer space to yeah. create in. You know, one thing I did like um about my podcast community when it's happening, speaking of safe spaces, was people would call me in um to culture about stuff that I didn't know. Like yes. because of my listeners a few years ago, and I am not hundred percent on this at all yet, and I I don't know if I'll ever be, but um they taught me about how the word crazy is problematic. Yes. Oh, the ableist yes. terms. Oh, it's so difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's hard. I think that one in particular is hard because uh, I don't, because when we say it, we don't mean like mm. mentally unwell necessarily. Yeah. It's just come to mean something else. Yes. But that's what someone else, that's what they said to me too, though. They said, just be more specific then. Like if you say crazy, I mean, what do you mean? Do you mean it was loud? Do you mean it was chaotic? Do you mean it was super fun? And yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, that, that got to the word nerd in me where I was like, I should be more specific. And yeah. It, it, that's a good thing about when you're being called, you, you learn so much and it's always an opportunity to, for me, I'm, it's my second, I'm from Denmark, so my second second language mm-hmm. so learning about yeah when you're like oh I guess I have to learn more words then to be able to articulate yeah but it's such a it's on your spine isn't it like it just comes straight into your head because it's what you've said every Forever. day for your whole life yeah I, yeah I have a lot of I'm being called out quite a lot as well and it is good but you do get that initial feeling of oh no yeah oh I've done something bad yeah I like it though I like I like that there's like a generation coming up and there's like social movements and ideas that I'm not aware of 
I find that very exciting, actually. And I hope to always be able to, you know, grow and change and be flexible about things. Yeah. So, so why was it, if you've started to feel self-conscious about talking on your podcast, yeah. then why was it self-sabotage stopping it? Oh, because I, I do, I tend to do this thing where like once I'll just do something and not think about it. And then when people like it, then I get self-conscious about it and go, oh, okay, never mind. I don't know. I haven't come to the bottom of that yet. And I don't know if we'll get to the bottom of it in this hour. <laughs> and if we do, I'll give you money because you will have done better than my therapist. Um, but like even years and years and years ago, before I started comedy, I used to write um, humorous articles online for this now defunct website. It was called Technodike. Uh, this was like in the early 2000s. And I, I would write humorous articles and just put them out there. I love doing it. And then I got all of this like really positive feedback, but I wasn't ready to like, um, it didn't match my sense of who I was. Like I had very low self-esteem. And so to get all this overwhelmingly positive feedback was like difficult in a way. I can't really articulate. I think people can, people know what I'm talking about. Mm. Um, and then finally I, t- I had to tell the editor of the website, I'm like, don't send me these <laughs> anymore. I'll keep writing articles, but I don't really want to know like if it's going well or not. So, so, how, so how do you feel about critique then? Like if it's negative, does that, did that fit into your self like image? Negative. No, it's it, it's it's a weird space to be in where it's like negative. You're just like you just don't get it, man, or it makes you want to fight more. But maybe that's like maybe that's my weird comfort zone too. Yeah, to feel like yeah, to feel like the scrappy underdog or something. So the negative would be yeah yeah. Oh fuck you guys! I'll show you. But you didn't tell her not to send. I mean, not that she, I imagine she wouldn't send you the negative stuff. No, I, there probably wasn't negative stuff because it was like just a lesbian website in the early 2000s. It was a different world. Another thing that trolls stay away from. (laughs) Yeah, it was a different world back then. Wow. So you're one of these people who have, and this is 100% just in my head, so it's not a universal experience, but at least to me, suddenly you were everywhere. Like I hadn't heard about you, and then you were everywhere. Your name popped up on all the podcasts (laughs) and all the television shows. And is that just because I just opened my eyes to you or has things gone I would say yeah and I I if you were really to examine your experience I bet it was probably just this one clip that went crazy that probably all your friends posted because like last summer um one clip in particular about how straight guys need to do better went crazy on oh see I just did it I said oh, crazy yes, it went went incredibly viral <laughs> on uh on Facebook which especially. felt unreal yeah yeah so maybe because of that people maybe they looked into other things and and then put stuff out there i mean i've been doing tv spots for years like in australia and in canada tiny bit in the u.s but not much yet um so there there, i mean there's material out there if you want to find it but it was that that one in particular that went but you feel like the 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 progression of your career has gone like it's there wasn't a explosion and then suddenly I know I don't necessarily feel like an explosion has happened. Like I'm getting booked for a lot of stuff. My calendar is quite full. Uh, I'm happy about that. But to me, it's just been kind of a just a steady marathon. Because because in my head, I thought that was the case, and I thought I wonder how that would um, work with this thing you have, where when things get really I know. good, like if you could, how you would feel if something exploded and yeah. now you're world famous and maybe that's why I'm talking I didn't even know I was going to get into that right away but the, see that's the thing the podcast brings up so much guilt in me my old podcast because <laughs> I loved really loved doing it and then I just dropped it I dropped my community um but yeah that's something I always have to just keep an eye 
out keep an eye on and be careful about yeah is that sense of like yeah how big do you want to get how many people do you want to really know you does that is that scary considering that like the, I feel like the it idea is. of you like more and more people finding you and it, it is and it isn't like obviously it's the end goal but I'm not the type of person or the type of comedian and I have to be honest I do not like these types um who just want to be famous mm. like what is that what does that mean you know like I just want to do what's interesting to me and hope that it resonates with people and of course I'd love um I'd love to reach like a wide audience of people but it's not the end goal like it's more about uh articulating my thoughts and discovering how I feel about things and putting it out in the world and just having a different type of voice out there but I did feel good when that clip went went so big this summer I what I, I felt good that like I'd been doing comedy for over 10 years and if anyone wanted to look into me it's all there you know it's all consistent I've been doing this kind of brand of feminist comedy forever I didn't just jump on some you know societal train all of a sudden so that felt good <laughs> you're smiling and laughing over there yeah. does this resonate with you no I like no I, I definitely jumped on the wagon of yeah. feminism in general it wasn't just a comedy thing it was yeah. I when I started doing comedy I was making jokes about how oh, women don't get jokes uh, really yeah, I was full-on <laughs> full-on horrific but, material but that's horrific. also what you probably thought you had to do Oh right? yeah, to, oh yeah. I was one of the boys and yeah. I was, you know, all that problematic bullshit. Yeah. And then I became Oh, it was a Canadian comedian who made me a feminist. Who's that? Was Pat Bircher? Yeah, I love Pat. Yeah, we were on a bus going from central London to where the same area we lived near each other. I lived with um Peter White. Yes. Yeah, I lived oh with God, Peter White so cool. and Dave Millett. I don't know him no, yet. No, he was a, a smaller comic from Nova Scotia. He was really really good. And uh And Pat Bircher asked me something, and I said, what, are you a feminist? And he said, uh, yeah. <laughs> are you not a feminist? I was like, no. And he was like, and I could just tell his like, his face, he was so disappointed. Yeah. And that disappointment, I was like, oh, shit, I got to Google this. I got to find out if I I'm wrong. This. So <laughs> it was mainly just me not wanting to look like a dickhead in front of Pat Bircher that made me look into feminism, realizing... Uh, oh, <laughs> that's so this great! Shout out to Pat Bircher. Yeah. I love that guy. Yeah, yeah. Just, I haven't seen him, well, since almost. But yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so but how has that been? If you've done it for like before it became a thing, like what was that like doing it when the rest of the world? wasn't really that much on board yeah I mean I would do uh, you know I definitely had jokes that I wouldn't do now I guess now that it feels like Nazism is back but one of my earliest ways to talk about it um, was in this way that was like I would try to do what I wanted to do but I also had to give the audience like a club audience in Canada mm. I had to give them a little bit of what they wanted mm. so I can see if I can even remember how it goes but I just said this joke that was like this one oh my friend said to me I'm not a I believe in women's rights, but I'm not a feminazi. I'm not a feminazi. And then I was like, that's such a weird term. I honestly don't even remember how it goes, but the punchline was something about uh, feminists aren't like... Those are two very different ideologies, something like that. And then it was like something Heil Klittler. It was not... I mean, it had, it had more punches in there. I got the, the... The main idea was that's a stupid phrase because feminism and Nazism are very different things, you know. But that was, you know... 12 years ago and I don't think wow. Nazism was as on our radar as it is right now yeah, unfortunately yeah, I don't think people so, really expected that to no it felt like something in the past and it felt like 
you know, a bit of an edgy reference maybe, but not really. Now, uh, no way. Plus, plus, luckily, the cultural conversation has moved forward. I don't have to do things in that way anymore where I'm, like, introducing the word feminism and, you know. Like, even a few years ago, I would start a joke by saying, so feminism is in the news. And then I was like, it's not. It never is. I just need to be able to start this joke. And uh. that was funny then. And that was really just a few years ago. But now I, I couldn't. I couldn't say feminism is in the news because it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's yeah, a great yeah. thing. Um, but, yeah, one one joke that I did on the Melbourne Gala this year and that I did in my show last year was about the a T-shirt that says, Rock Out With Your Cock Out. I yeah. don't know if you know that joke. I say, I saw this guy walking around with a T-shirt that said, Rock Out With Your Cock Out. Um, and I go on about that for a minute. And I'm like, but I think it should say, you know, rock out with your cock in your pants until the time is right, the mood is appropriate, and you've been given an explicit verbal invitation to take that cock out. Everybody, and then everyone cheers, and I say yay. And then later on in the set, I open up my shirt, and I'm wearing that. And it says nice. all the things, right? Um, that was one of the earliest jokes I wrote 12 years ago. And I did it on stage maybe three to five times, and no one understood what I was talking about. Because consent wasn't a part of the cultural conversation then. Um, so that's been really gratifying and interesting to like to hang on to that one, bring it out again like 10 years later. And then people are like, yeah, okay, we're into it. That's amazing. Um, yeah, and I, I think if I hadn't done comedy or been you know, trying to be involved in the cultural conversation in that way, I might not um, have such a clear marker for how things have changed. Yeah. Um, but it's very clear to me that in the past 10 years, um, you know, the, the, the cultural conversation is changing and we're talking about feminism, we're talking about consent and, you know, gay people have more rights than ever in, in a lot of places, not everywhere. And that's kind of, it's exciting. So which, um, do you think the fight is getting, was it more fun or was it harder to fight back then you know like now when you kind of have like at least the lefty culture behind you yeah is that do you prefer to have some to be like challenged a bit or are you yeah like- it's interesting because I've only had to confront this like in the past few years uh, I live in Toronto and I do a lot of comedy there and this is probably happening in other cities too but especially in Toronto there's this um, really cool like queer and feminist scene that has popped up and there's all these independent rooms that are explicitly queer, feminist, anti-oppressive, etc. You know, and they'll definitely um, put to the front, you know, women or non-binary people or people of color, whatever. But, and I mean, they're great rooms to play, but I discovered through playing those that like, I thrive in tension, or at least that's how I started doing comedy, because I'm how I am. Comedy clubs are completely different environments. Um, and So there's always this kind of tension and this little bit of fighting, you know, back and forth. Like, I'll tell you what you want to hear so I can tell you what I want to say. And that was really fun for me. And then to suddenly do, like, feminist comedy in a feminist room is fine. But I don't, I don't like, personally, I'm not interested in comedy that feels like a rally. Like, I don't like, it's not interesting to me to say something that I know everybody's going to agree with. And then we all agree, um, you know. So I, I had to discover that about myself. And I feel now like I'm so happy that these, these rooms are popping up and there's this whole other culture. But at the same time, I feel like what I see is like just a real cultural divide in different rooms. And, you know, some references or jokes go so well in one room 
and then in the other room don't hit at all and it's I, I there's this big gap I find in like different types of audiences that I play so that's interesting so you put uh, when when looking you up the word troublemaker is part of a lot of the descriptions oh, around yeah, you I guess so. I'm kind of thinking so if you kind of thrive with the tension and you were doing feminist stuff back when you more or less had to explain what it was and have you always been like a fighter or someone willing to take and and and, and if you are is that is that a choice or is it because you've had no choice basically I don't know um I think I mean there just must be something about my personality like I'm the youngest of three kids I probably mm. always felt like I had to be a little loud to be heard or something um I just I I've, I've never felt like particularly mainstream and maybe that will change I don't know um as comedy changes and comedy audiences are changing so it was just early on at least in my comedy DNA it was like oh okay if I'm going to survive in these rooms I first of all need to understand that uh what I find funny and what a lot of these people paying to see the show find funny are two different things so how am I going to bridge that gap so I think it just started you know because I I grew up my comedy in clubs which I keep referencing because they're they're different places in yeah. 2005 I got told by the club owner 2000 no 2006 I had started coming in 2006 and gay marriage was legal in Canada in 2005 and I got told by the club owner not to come out on stage Wow. And I was like, fuck that. He told me that. And then I went on stage like five minutes later and switched my set around so that the first joke I did was coming out. And then we never talked about it again. But I was just like, how are you telling me this in 2006? And that even felt like it's it's funny though when people say we're in 2008. And yeah, people must have been saying that. About every single year. At forever. This We're is 1777. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, so what when you were growing up, when you were child, teenage years, mm -hmm. were you a, a rebel? It sounds like I'm like your grandmother. Yeah. No. Were you a bit of a rebel? But like, were you... No, like I, was how, a, yeah. I, I was a very good kid. I got really good grades and I was quiet. But my, my sister and brother are significantly older than me at the time. Now it's all evened out because we're old, old people. But... Um, <laughs> They were seven and 11 when I was born. So they were, I had like teenagers in the house when I was a kid. And they were they were always getting into trouble and like all the fights would be with them. So I just coasted through. But I found a way to do it that was so great because I would get good grades. I was never in any trouble that by like uh, the last two years of high school, me and my nerdy little friends discovered that we could get away with anything because we'd built up our reputations for so long. And it was great. We would literally just walk into another class and go, you know, uh, I can't think of any of my teachers' names then, but let's say we'd be like, uh, Mrs. Steflick needs us to do this economics project, so can we just like not be here for this class? And the teacher would go, yeah, sure, whatever. And then we would just take off in the Amazing. afternoons and stuff. So that was fun, a little, uh, maybe a little bit of a nerdy rebel back then. Talk to me about depression. Oh, all right. <laughs> like I've, the, the, one of the episodes I listened to of your podcast, you yeah. were talking about that that was one of the reasons you hadn't done an episode for a while. Yes, and do you know what? I don't even think I've... That's probably what's kept me from it, too, is that last winter, so over a year ago, um, I got on antidepressants, and I would say finally got on antidepressants because yeah. it was something that was in my life forever, and I just never really took that next step or, I don't know, for whatever reason was reluctant to get on meds about it. And then 
yeah, then I, I kept being like, I'll tell my, I'll tell the podcast about this. And then I just never got back to it. Um, but yeah, I would say that I, that's something that I've struggled with my whole life. It's like, I've, in my family, there's a history of alcoholism and mental illness and all this stuff. So I just have that, that sweet little brain cocktail. <laughs> so you say you've had it forever. Has this always so, been yeah. a thing? Yeah, whenever I like read a checklist of depression, you know, I'm like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. So I think I just tried to, I think like many people do, just try to power through. Or you think, you get in this loop that's like depression and anxiety and low self-esteem where you kind of know that you have a problem, but you still think the problem is you, you know? So you're like, well, I'm pretty bummed, but if I just tried harder, I'm sure that, you know, it's just, I, I can do this. Oh, I deserve to feel this way. Yeah. Because I'm a shit person, so it all kind of goes into this. Weird loop. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So what has changed since you got on meds? You said you saw a therapist as well, so what came first? Yeah. Um, therap- I was in therapy for a while first, and then I got on meds. Um, I haven't been back to therapy in a year. I really need to go. Um, but I would say what changed was um, more was like anxiety was lifted. Mm. Um, what, what are my meds? Uh, Acetylopram, if that means anything to anyone. It's the generic of Celexa, I think. It doesn't work for everybody, but it works for me. And it took away like the anxiety immediately. And I don't think I realized how much that, like having constant anxiety was, um, I think, causing me to have depression. Because I would be like, why can't I? I would just feel really bad about myself all the time. Like I can't handle this situation or this is overwhelming to me and I was like well yeah of course it is when you have like a constant voice in your head telling you like you know what you're doing wrong or what you're about to do wrong or how every it was like every situation was high alert you know and that just becomes part of your everyday life yeah to the point that you just don't realize like I would just assume that everybody is dealing with this but they're just way better at dealing with it than I am I still find it strange like my anxiety is mostly social anxiety Mm -hmm. and I find it so strange when I'm in a restaurant or a bar with someone and people look like they're enjoying it yeah 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 like why are they pretending so well to like all these people around them and all this why are they pretending they can hear each other and not just hear like loud thuds of music all the time and so you're like, oh, yeah, oh, I'm, I'm sick. Yeah. <laughs> this is not okay. Yeah, I used to, I just thought everybody had the same thing and was way better at dealing with it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, but I guess that's also the reason why people don't understand mental health issues as well, because they will assume everyone feels that. So, you know, when you have, it's mm-hmm. a classic of having a depression or anxiety and people say, oh, yeah, it. I'm a bit sad sometimes. You're yeah. like, no, you can get out of bed. So it's not really the same yeah, thing. Yeah. It must be the same thing. People are assuming that. Like their life experience is universal. Mm-hmm. I had a great moment the other night, um, and I don't think I don't necessarily have social anxiety as much as I just have like constant general anxiety. Um, but I do get easily overwhelmed in like social situations, and especially if I've just done a show, it's like oh, you put out so much energy. Yeah. Um, so some friends wanted to go to a bar with me after, and we went, and I walked in, and it was just like one of these like too loud. I just knew I wasn't going to enjoy myself. And so instead of staying there and trying to power through, I was just like, nope, I'll see you guys tomorrow. I'm going home. And it felt so liberating yes. to like finally recognize about that about myself and recognize that it's fine and just get out of there. Was that reason? I mean, is that something you've been able to do for a while or was it just recently you started being okay with leaving like a party? 
I think, yeah, just recently I've been better with it. Yeah. It's the best thing in the world. I'm generally not good at leaving either. Like, I'll just ghost or I'll stay till the bitter end because I don't know how to say goodbye to anybody oh. and I don't want to be rude. It's this very weird thing where I'll just get, like, uh, trapped in a corner until literally everybody else leaves. Oh, I'll enjoy the corner. I'll place myself in a When it was house parties when I was younger, I would always go to the kitchen and start cleaning. Yeah. Because if you're cleaning, then no one's going to, like, the p- person holding the party won't like criticize you because he's just really relieved that you're doing the cleaning so So i'll be like no no, i'm really enjoying this and i would be because i would be quiet in the kitchen and one then when people needed a break they'd come to the kitchen and hang out yeah so i just see one person at a time i have a great just relaxed atmosphere around it and when it's a bar i just i'll find a corner and i'll just be in the corner and then people can come and go as they want but i'm staying in the corner yeah I i do tend to do that too like there was a comedian christmas party in toronto this year and i just it was jam-packed with people. So I didn't mean to stay in one place all the time, but I just did. And then it was awesome. People just came up to me. We had quick chats. They would know when to leave. <laughs> and then, yeah, it was it's great. The, like finding out that other people feel that way was such a difference to me. I did a show about my social anxiety, which I thought in the very beginning was going to be, oh, I'm going to tell people about this really strange thing. And I mean, that's going to be the show. Is people are going to be like, "Whoa, that's weird!" <laughs> and it turned out to be people going, "Yeah, yeah, me too." Yeah, like really? Because I? I was like, "Oh, this is really embarrassing, guys." But I, I hide in public toilets when I get overwhelmed. People were like, "Yeah, yeah, me too." It's just a thing, yeah. apparently. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love the privacy of a toilet door. <laughs> so, um, so you depressed? So you, so you, you haven't been back to therapy for a year? Yeah. Why did that happen? I think just because I've been like moving around so much. Yeah, yeah. I need to get I need to get a new therapist in Toronto, and I need to get somebody who will see me, uh, you know, via Skype or via via oh, phone yeah? when I'm not in town. Yeah, I hadn't even considered that as a thing. That's a really good idea. Yeah, I had one in Montreal. She was great, and then we would we would talk on the phone and stuff. And then I just I need to get someone local now. So have you moved? I let it lapse. I used to live in Montreal, uh, and then I moved to Toronto. Yeah, for comedy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about the Canadian scene, so I don't know if it's around. I mean, small. no one does because it is unfortunately not too much of a scene. It, well, that's not true. It is a scene. There's great comics there, like Pat Bircher. You know, like amazing people are coming out of Canada, but that's the thing is, for the most part, you you have to leave Canada to get known. Yeah. Um, I'm American. I'm from the states, but I haven't lived there in ages, and I started comedy in Canada, and. Everybody thinks I'm backwards for not wanting to move to the States, but I think in light of recent political events, people understand that a little more yeah. now. Um, Is that part of the reason you moved? Yeah, I left uh, in 2004 when, no, 2000, when George Bush stole that first election. Do you remember this? Um, no. George, it was George Bush and Al Gore and um, George W. Bush. And then the state of Florida was in question, which Jeb Bush, George's brother, was the governor of. And then, of course, the state of Florida went to George Bush. But it was um, it was rigged, really, and, and they stole the election. And I felt like at that time that the Democrats didn't fight back hard enough. And it just it just and I was young. I was young and idealistic. And maybe if I w- was more of an activist or m- even more politically minded, I would have like stayed and fought for my country. But I was like, I don't I want to get out of here. So I went to Mexico then um, and then I never went back. I just skipped over and then moved to Canada. Was that like in protest or was it to escape it? A little bit of both. Yeah? Yeah. What's your go-to reaction when something like that happens? Is it, so you move around a lot. Is that 
like is it closer to being a, an inability to like tie yourself up somewhere yeah or is it closer to being like a I'm going I'm going towards something else I think like at that point I, I mean and I was quite young I was like 21 or something when I left I think uh, it just felt like the U.S. to me felt like a dysfunctional family So at the same time that I was kind of getting some distance from my actual dysfunctional family, I was also getting some distance from the U.S. I was like, I love you guys, but you're just not good for me right now, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, and then I just never went back. And I don't... Maybe it's because I have that U.S. passport and I can go back at any time that I don't really have the desire to live there. But most Canadian comics... I mean, pretty much everyone is just dying for enough, like, TV credits or whatever that they can then get that visa and move to the States. That's not your... Yeah, no. So the, the, the Canadian comedy scene is um, really overshadowed by the States because the U.S. is so much of a bigger market, you know, more population, more opportunities, that, unfortunately, uh, the Canadian comedy scene is kind of small by comparison. But there's great stuff happening, and I think... I think there's a bit of like a revival happening. There's a really wonderful sketch show called Baroness Von Sketch. I don't know if you've heard of it. I mean, oh, it is actually it does ring a bell. You for might some have reason. heard of it. It's absolutely incredible. Um, it started on our CBC Canadian Broadcasting Corporation and then got picked up by IFC in the states. I think. I think they got a write up in the New York Times or something, which is where Lovely. you might have heard of them. But uh, but I'm also from a weird because when I started comedy eight years ago. I had like a weird kind of perverse obsession with Canada for some because I for some reason found some clips online from can Canadian shows. So I saw Avery Edison, uh, who is actually British, I found out later, uh, but lived in somewhere in Canada for a while. And then I saw someone called Lauren something. Lauren something. Um, oh, I don't remember her surname, Lauren. And then I started living with all these Canadian comedians and I found Deborah Giovanni. Oh yeah, she's awesome. She's incredible. She lives in LA now. Yeah. I do follow her. Yeah. It's on all the social media to make sure I always know where she is. <laughs> uh, so I had this, so in my head, I probably for a while knew way more about Canadian comedy than That's so funny. any other scenes. I'm not, I'm not in any way an objective source yeah. of anything. I mean, there's great stuff going on there. Yeah. Um, there's really great comics coming out of there strong yeah. like in Toronto the scene is really strong yeah yeah oh, that's good to know I mean I don't know you should come over I'd, I'd love to just do it I'd love to I have I'm one of those I'm in that place where I look a lot of plane tickets and yeah. then I go oh, I don't know I should probably yeah. <laughs> I will I'll end up there I'll yeah. end up moving there on like a whim do it um one thing I love telling people about the Toronto scene especially is there's this whole like pot scene This whole like marijuana yeah. scene for comedy, which is, as far as I know, pretty unique in the world. So there's, it's this like legal gray area at the moment um, where these cafes and establishments don't get don't get any trouble from the police, and everyone's in there smoking weed. They don't sell it, but but they, you know, they sell things around it. You can buy the paraphernalia to smoke or snacks or whatever. And there's a bunch of different ones in Toronto, and then they have like comedy nights. And there's one place in particular called the Underground Comedy Cafe that is dedicated to comedy, I think, maybe seven nights a week, at least six nights a week. Um, and they're like a, this pot-friendly venue that's also like a comedy club. And that is one of my favorite places to perform, the Underground Comedy Cafe, because it's, it's the people that come out are really cool. Um, a, a high crowd is different from a drunk crowd in the way that they're, they're still up for it 
they'll really appreciate like smart stuff, interesting stuff, and they won't let you lie. Like if you go up there oh. and you're bit bit like doing a re- rehearsed joke you've done a million times in a rehearsed way, they just won't bite. Like they wow. There's something like they see through artifice in a way. At least that's how I feel those rooms where it's like they just want you to be really you. Wow. So if who you are that night is really you telling these amazing jokes, then okay. But but sometimes like the fun is more in the comedian kind of melting down a little bit on stage because wow. it's, it's a different type of environment and some not everybody knows how to handle it. So, so it's another um, kind of tension that you kind of thrive in. That yeah, you'll be, maybe. You'll be yeah, called out on your yeah, you realness. Have to, like, really be authentic to yourself and to the moment, or or they'll see through you. Am I wrong to assume that you usually are quite authentic? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I really am, but that's like that's my challenge and what I really like doing so I think I I love being in that space for that reason because it's like you really can't get away with anything also like in your personal life like not just on stage but are you you seem to know who you are I think so as much as I ever know anything um yeah there's, I don't know. I'm always aiming for something, and maybe I don't know what it is, and maybe I'll never really know what it is. But do you mean like within with comedy and on stage and with that whole experience? Yeah, I think there's an aspect of reciting jokes for the tenth time, for the hundredth time, for the five hundredth time that feels inauthentic to me, or that mm-hmm. I even if I know the audience doesn't know this yet, I'd ra- I love when things are new and when things get created in the moment and when it's very much like. There's this particular audience, and then they're bringing whatever kind of energy they're bringing tonight. And there's me, and I'm bringing whatever kind of energy I'm bringing tonight. And then we're going to do something that we're not going to... Neither one of us is ever going to experience again. Just this one time. So talk to me about, is that dysfunctional family? Is that dysfunctional as in fun sitcom, dysfunctional family, or is it... Dysfunctional as in what? Is it like a dysfunctional, this is funny, or was it dysfunctional, dysfunctional, like... Therapy, let's talk about this in therapy, kind of dysfunctional. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I've I've softened in my view of this over the years because, of course, or and, or actually, yeah, I used to do this in a ukulele song where I actually said this, now that I'm thinking about it, where it's like my parents absolutely tried their best and gave us kids more than they had when they were kids. But it was difficult for them because they were both um, only children from their own dysfunctional backgrounds. Uh, and both alcoholics when we were all growing up so it was a little messy yeah do you have yeah. so do you not drink or do you not ha- did you not have that whatever you call it strain of yeah. alcoholism or is that something you struggle I didn't with? drink when I first started comedy I didn't drink because I just knew it would be so easy to drink every night yeah you know like every, and I wanted to learn how to do comedy without that crutch and yeah. I didn't want to you know have good sets with a beer or two under my belt and then think I needed that every time. Mm. Um, so I really stayed away from it when I first started comedy. And now I, I just drink like socially sometimes, you know, sometimes it's nice to feel like people, you know, <laughs> to do like, like, let's go to the bar and have a drink. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, um, yeah. I remember starting out seeing all the real comics drink like a beer before they went on stage. Yeah. And I like ordered a beer to take with me on stage. And then they all just looked at me like, um, you have not earned this yet. Like you are not a real comedian yet. You're doing like an open mic spot somewhere. Oh, that's like, interesting. Yeah, they were very like, listen, we've done this professionally for 
over a decade, so we can do this with a beer in our system, but you are still like wobbling up on stage, not knowing to remove the microphone stand yet, so you're yeah. not. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I hadn't thought about things that way. No, yeah. they were quite, it was, well, I got it, like the Danish comedy circuit is, um, it's quite, at least it was when I started out, quite extraordinary in terms of um, like racing younger comics. It was quite strict and very, yeah. you know, like, oh, are you not applying for a spot this evening? Like, do you not really want to be a comedian? Like, you really, I really had to prove myself. Yeah quite a lot like you, you can't afford to have a bad gig because mm-hmm. a lot of people want this and yeah that was my I was like oh I can't drink it looks unprofessional to drink before a gig yeah that's interesting like I've, I've built up a bit of a tolerance but when I first started comedy like even one drink would make me tipsy or something so I couldn't I couldn't really drink and do comedy I'd be off my game so how much of you from your I like dysfunctional family or yeah. whatever you want to call it which we all have, by the oh, way. Oh, I'm not saying this absolutely. is like a special situation. Oh, no, 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 yeah. no. Oh, but it's just like different strains of... Yeah. And it's interesting to say the thing about their, that they came from their dysfunctional families. Mm-hmm. I remember the moment of realizing, when I was a teenager, realizing what my like grandparents grew up with and what my, my parents grew yeah. up with. And you just start going, how are any of us even remotely functional as adult people? Yeah. How has anyone like managed to survive all of these the, back in a time when you know you didn't really have child services and yeah yeah absolutely you know Bill Burr has I don't know what special it's in have you seen Bill Burr's joke about that he just talks oh, about how not. each generation tries to like do a little bit better for their kids oh and it's yeah it's a really sweet premise yeah. it's yeah. really cute and of course it has like the classic Bill Burr twist where for him it's like I'm gonna completely butcher this because I can't remember why he said this but for him it's like he won't let his son do drama class or something which of course like sounds like it's bad but then he (laughs) explains it but he talks about like you know what was going on with his dad or his grandpa and essentially being raised like where they're just like I don't know just like a baby with a diaper full of shit and they're like get out in the rain you shitty baby (laughs) like that sort of thing I'm butchering it but the that premise I really loved and to come from a comic like Bill Burr who's so full of like bluster and can be such a bro I loved it uh, so I have a question that I usually ask. So, <clears throat> what is it? Go on. Okay, so you are in prison, medium to high level security. Oh, nightmare. What is, what is the most likely reason for why you're there? Tax, tax. Not even evasion, but just like inability to do my taxes. Do they put people to prison for? They nothing? might. I don't know. It's been a few years. I'm working on it. <laughs> That's my nightmare. Yeah. Um, I've always, it's truly like uh, something that I've thought about. So I would, I would have to say like wrongfully imprisoned because that's like oh, yeah? one of my paranoid nightmare scenarios is that I would be wrongfully imprisoned. Yeah? Yeah. So those are probably the two most likely. And then, but if I'm actually going to play your game and not just go into no? my, uh, let's see. Me, I don't know what kind of crimes give you medium to maximum. Oh yeah, me neither. But you, you wouldn't be... Are you a violent person? You don't seem like a violent person. I'm not a violent violent person. What do people go to jail for? Oh, so there's there's all the murder stuff, which could also be an accident. Maybe I've been an accomplice in a murder. Ooh. Maybe someone came to me and they needed help covering it up and then I helped them. You felt bad saying that. (laughs) You couldn't leave the situation? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. All right. (laughs) Um, Another question is this. Um, So it's based on... Because you must get asked the same questions 
quite a lot every time you do any kind of we, we all do yeah, right yeah, like yeah. we all have our go-to how did you start comedy yeah. oh yeah all of that uh, so it's based partly on that you haven't really you didn't know a lot about this podcast I don't know how much you've thought about the fact you were going to be talking about certain things and it's also based on the fact that maybe some things are happening in your life that you yeah. want to talk about. That I've I obviously not thought about it at all. I feel like I no, opened up like, anyway, so no, I perf- feel no, very no. guilty about my own You've podcast. You've been absolutely <laughs> ideal. The question is, all right. uh, what question would you like for me to ask you? Oh, gosh. See, that's a stump. That's a stump one. Because you, we've already talked about this. I don't, I don't generally walk around thinking that, you know, I'm just waiting for someone to ask me this question so I could lay all my wisdom on them. Uh, it's question. part of it, isn't it? Like yeah. it's, it's part of... Um, it could be like... Maybe you're just watching a TV show you really want to talk. It's basically like a free-for-all card. You can just be mm-hmm. asked anything you want. The most selfish thing you can imagine wanting to talk about. Well, maybe it's more like I want to be surprised... And I don't mean to I don't mean to cop out. I just mean like that sort of thing about like what would you have done to get in prison? I like being asked questions that I've never thought about and then I have to figure oh, yeah? out. Or like fantasy questions. Ooh. Or like you know when people are like, Would you rather? Mm. And I can't think of any good scenarios. Do you think you deserve good things <laughs> in your life? <laughs> That's huge. What a question. I'm gonna go ahead and say yes. <laughs> It's not a quiz. That's no right answer. You used to be like, uh, I'm gonna. Yes, is yes the right answer? I mean, I know that I on one level I know that I do, but like that's for sure something that I struggle with. That I bet I think imagine said, other people do too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a deep sense of unworthiness. Isn't that most people's kind of shame? You're laughing at me. No, I um, just think that's a perfect sentence. Yeah, deep a, feeling a, of unworthiness. A that deep the sense thing? of unworthiness. Isn't that what everybody feels? Um. I think it's because you, you say you thrive in, ten- uh, in tension. I was wondering if that is the case, if it is tension or if you kind of, if you like being beaten up a bit. Yeah, or, you know, the, like when we talked about you weren't good with the, the nice things in your the articles yeah, yeah. you wrote or if there's a general reluctance towards just good like things. loads of success and happiness and yeah. joyfulness. In, I mean, probably on some deep level that I'm not fully aware of, but I'm trying to get more aware of it, right? Um, yeah, because the way I think about it, and I, this isn't just me, this is everybody, but everybody has some, like, dark little shame in themselves, whatever it is. And the biggest ones are probably, like, a feeling like, I am unlovable, I am unworthy. I mean, everybody has their own. I'm not good enough, I'm imperfect, whatever. And then... Um, on top of that deep shame, we build all these little layers. So, like, what I'm trying to do in my life, not in comedy, is, like, chip away and try to try to know what that is so that it doesn't pop up and, you know, destroy the good things in my life. Um, but I'm always working on it. I'll probably always be working on it forever. Do you enjoy the process? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Because I think the more... Because it's fun, it's fun to try to um, help other people along their journey too. Like we, God, oh, listen to myself. Oh, I hope your listeners are real soft-hearted nerds. Oh, they, uh, oh, they. <laughs> it's fun to help people along their own journeys. I didn't know I was going to say no, that. We love the word journey on this yeah. podcast. Oh, it's such a journey. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it, the more work that I do on myself, it helps 
at everyone around me. So I'm not a not yeah. crappy person in interactions. And then when you see other people dealing with the same sort of thing, you can knock on their heads and let them know, hey, <laughs> cut it out. It's fine. You, you must get a lot of that from your fans and people who watch you. And like you must, even if they don't know like the deepest, deepest, yeah, all the shame yeah. stuff, Ooh. just by being uh, like just the person you are the way you talk about stuff like gender and feminism and gender identity and stuff you must already feel that you're helping people yeah I think so like every once in a while I do get that feedback and then it's like okay great because I'm not even it's not that I'm not trying like I do think about what I say on stage and why but I I, I don't really know the impact that it has on people and um, so yeah it's great it's great to see that that's another way too like uh, that in my lifetime, society has changed so much, like in terms of that we can even be talking about gender now. And like when I was a kid in the suburbs in the US, I didn't know anyone gay. I thought I invented the concept of gay, uh, which was both thrilling and horrifying. Um, Did you always know? I, I mean, yeah, but without knowing that there was anything like that. Yeah, okay. You know? Like, I didn't know the words. Did you have the thing where you thought everyone must feel that way? Or was that very obvious that they... No, because everything in culture was telling me it shouldn't be this way. Yeah. Right? But um, I did have the bonus, I guess, like, when I was five, my brother was 16. So he would bring girlfriends home, and I loved those girls. (laughs) And I'd be, you know, I'm little and cute, and so I'd, like, my whole thing was to, like, come out and make them like me, whatever. But I think there was a bit of, like, a, you know, like a young romantic kind of attraction there. When my brother would be, bring home hot 16-year-olds. <laughs> so you, so what, what happened then? Like, and I know this must be one of the questions yeah. you, you're being asked a lot, so it might be one of the boring ones. But So you felt, so when did you find out that that wasn't, that you didn't invent the term? Yeah. Or the concept? Um, I don't know. I guess in, when would it have started filtering into my life? Melissa Etheridge might have been the first kind of uh, big pop culture. She came out with this album called Yes, I Am. And oh, we yeah. all knew what she meant. Because this is pre-Ellen. This is like before Ellen came out on her sitcom even. So there just wasn't, there wasn't, of course there were out gay people in the world, but it just wasn't filtering through to me in, you know, upstate New York in the suburbs. So maybe that. But I remember I would ask myself like, I had started to have this question, I guess, where I kind of knew what gay was or something. And um, I would, like, before I went to sleep, I'd have these little conversations with myself where I'd be like, okay, well, do you want to kiss your friend Gretchen? No. Do you want to kiss your friend Lisa? No. Do you want to kiss your friend Kim? No. Okay, cool. Go to bed. You're fine. And then one year it was like, do you want to kiss Gretchen? No. Do you want to kiss Lisa? No. Uh, What about your friend Sarah? Oh, my God. (laughs) So, like, in senior year of high school... uh, I fell in love with this girl, Sarah, who later turned out to be my first girlfriend. It was great. Oh. But that was its own, like, it's probably because of her and because of all of that that I figured it out. It wasn't until I went to university and I met a few gay people wow. that I realized it was, like, a possibility, you know? And I know that's quite a, more or less, like, quite a common experience to not know it or come to terms with it until you're late, because it's not, it hasn't been a part of culture for mm-hmm. But do you think that's like that aside, what does that do to a person or what does that do to you to have those years of confusion or I don't know what the right word would be for it, but yeah, I'm feeling of like, is it loneliness or what? I don't know what is it that you yeah. feel up until that point? I don't know either. I think I'm still unpacking it, and I think it I think it 
I mean, it can't help, <laughs> you know, everybody's, everybody has a hard time at puberty and changing and sexual feelings and all that. And then, so there's just this extra layer of bullshit on top of it for the most part. I, I mean, I, I came out when I was 18 and so I feel like I came out pretty young and I, I kind of quote got over it or something early, but, but you know, it was a bold, it was a bold move then. Like Ellen hadn't come out yet. I shaved my head a bunch, like all the time, like, I'm fine with my sexuality. Don't ask about it. Like you had to be a little, um, it felt like you had to be a little harder about everything, you know? Um, and now it's like things are changing so quickly. It's really exciting. Like even, even I think I was talking about being, you know, agender on stage and then at a college show, I said something about being agender and then I called myself a lesbian and then someone came up after, not in a confronting way, but they were like, so why do you call yourself a lesbian if you're agender? And I was like, oh yeah, I don't know. I guess it's because I came out in the nineties and I just like stuck on that word. But it's like the kids are onto such, they're just, they're so past all of it now that, it's great. I so, what, it. when when did you when did you learn about the word or the f- concept yeah. of being a gender? I don't know. I was think... that like a so basically my um, a relative of mine? Yeah, I uh, was like an old relative. I uh, was trying to I was trying to explain the concept of well, some people are yeah. neither man or woman, yeah. and there's all these and. Um, and she was very confused. She was like, wait, what? This, yeah. what? I don't understand. And I was like, well, so some people are just they. Yeah. You know, they don't feel like a woman. They don't feel like a man. They're just they. And she went, huh, <laughs> well, that's me. Oh, great. And I was like, huh. <laughs> and then she just like thought about it for a few minutes. And she went, huh. anyways. And she just, you know, because yeah. of course that's a very late point in your life to suddenly start. But in my, I just, it made me so emotional because I was like, wow, imagine if she had been born now mm-hmm. where this would be presented to her them I guess in a way yeah. so early that this would have become their life instead of the, her whole life she's gone every time someone's called her or referred to her as a woman yeah. she's felt hmm like this isn't hmm this is something about this doesn't feel right yeah. and I was just thinking wow that must be such a that must make such a difference to so many people growing up now knowing that it's not all binary or there's not all these yeah yeah I don't want to say options because doesn't. I don't want to make it sound like a choice, but in a way that they can identify. So what I think what I'm getting at is the feeling of realizing that there's a label that exists that is yours mm. if you haven't felt that you fit into any of the other boxes. Yes, I don't think I'm like. Maybe I don't. I don't love the idea of a label, mm. but I do love the idea. I get maybe of there being words for it or just saying like, "Hey, everyone." It's not that I'm so weird. It's like that this is a thing. Like, I don't want to be like the cultural idea of what a woman is or what the cultural idea of what a man is. It just doesn't fit. Um, yeah, but when it was first on my radar, I, I can't really say. What's really exciting to me is that all of this stuff is like, all the stuff the kids are talking about now is all on my radar. But how exciting... I look forward to being like your old aunt. That's like, I'm sorry, what is this? What are you talking about? What's that concept? Um, like, I'm really interested in what's coming down the pipeline for all these kids that are growing up with gender fluid ideas and, yeah. you know, queer being on the table. What, what's next? Imagine if it's, yeah. if, it, well, I imagine for me, yeah, if the ideal 
well, not to some people, of course, but if it just is never a thing, mm-hmm. if at one point you just don't have pronouns or yeah. like it's not, or if it's all a spectrum and there's not, I yeah. mean, imagine that. And then we'll be old fashioned because we still sometimes occasionally accidentally say man and woman. Yeah. And they're like, there's no such thing as gender. There's no such thing as sexuality. Yeah. I love it. I think we have to, like, we have to be more forgiving and compassionate with each other, though, when it comes to labels and people misgendering. Because for the most part, people, I mean, well, I don't know. I was going to say people aren't doing it out of a, a mean spirit, and maybe they are. But but there's plenty of well-meaning people who are going to screw up for a while. Because it's just how we're socialized, and it's how our brains work. We want to categorize everything. I think it's deep within us, like, mm. just, like, evolutionarily deep within us. Not necessarily man-woman, but, like you know, enemy friend, uh, tree predator. Like we're always going to want to categorize stuff. I, I once the worst that I ever was years ago, I misgendered someone at their own, like (laughs) coming out party celebration of having changed their gender. (laughs) But but in my defense, I barely have a defense, but in defense, (laughs) they had gone from the name Nancy, um, when they were a woman or perceived as a woman, to then being transgender and they changed their name to Jackie, which in my mind is like still kind of an either or name. They didn't go hard like my name's Bryce or like, you know, (laughs) like just stone or something, Um, you know, from Nancy to Jackie. And I absolutely, I mean, I was mortified and I of course like turned all shades of red, but I, cause I, I was reading a poem to him and I was like, and we all know Jackie. She's so, oh my God. (laughs) immediately but I like to think of that because it felt really embarrassing and humiliating of course I apologize and we all moved on but um you know if I can do that like so well-meaning wanting to be a part of this new wave wanting to support someone at their very own house at their very own celebration party uh then other people are gonna do it yeah and then there's a whole the next level aspect I guess is when people then react to you fucking up, you also have to bear in... It's that tone policing thing, isn't it? Where I also understand that if you've been misgendered or if you've been received racial microaggressions your entire life or racist microaggressions, I understand that then if someone fucks up, they instead of going, oh, hey, mate, I'm really sorry, but just so you know, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. I understand sometimes people are like, oh, fuck off. Yeah, yeah. And that's also okay of going, you know what? I understand you're mad. I'm going to take that on me. That's okay as well. Yeah, for sure. I, I think like being constantly in the position of educating people is and would be exhausting. Oh, it must be so tiring. But that's why we have to like stand up for each other, of course, right? So it's like, if I hear racial bullshit, then I'll call it out because I yes. have plenty of time and space for that. Yes, exactly. And you... You particularly must, if you've been doing feminist comedy since before it became a cool hip thing to do. <laughs> Is it a cool hip thing to do? I don't even know. I don't know if, if I don't know if feminism will ever be like a cool hip. And also, thing. wait, let me just say this: there is such a, um, you know, people on the internet, especially. I'm even reluctant. I do, I do try to do feminist comedy, and that's like who I am. But on the other hand, it's also comedy. So there is, you know, there are people out there that are going to go, "This isn't feminist enough," or take issue oh yeah def- oh yeah. yeah it's that's it's a it's a hard one isn't it yeah it's hard to kind of it's i'm trying to when i do my shows i try to um so i have i always have on my tour at least not just when i do any gig but my tour and my edinburgh shows will always mm, I'm, I'm lying now 
not my airbrush shows, but my tour will always have all the toilets will be gender neutral mm -hmm. and it's anxiety safe. So people can message me and tell me what their anxiety is and I'll make sure, that, you know, if they need a seat at the end or to be let in before the audience or anything like that. Uh, and it's all That's and cool. it's wheelchair accessible as well. So I yeah. won't do a venue if it can't. Yeah, yeah, those yeah. Three That's things. awesome. But within that, I try and be like yeah but then the show itself won't necessarily be yes <laughs> like i can't pr i can pr i can promise that it's safe in these aspects mm -hmm. but i can't ensure and i also do it well, my last show was about emotional abuse so i did a trigger warning for that as well but there's a to a certain extent i can't promise more than that mm -hmm. you know i can't someone once asked me to edit out any reference to a certain thing because it was triggering to oh, them. Oh, come on. And I was a bit like, oh, man, I can see why you think that I do yeah. that. <laughs> like, it, it sounds like that's the kind of thing yeah. I would do, but once it, once the actual comedy show yeah. starts, uh, nah. Maybe don't come to the show, pal. Yeah, you're yeah. on your own yeah. <laughs> once that happens. Yeah. I, I, I'm always happy when venues are wheelchair accessible, but it's nothing I've demanded yet, and I should. So well, that's, this is nice to hear even that, like, I don't think it was even on my radar to, to think that I well, could. It wasn't but. on mine. The first tour I did, that wasn't part. I only had to be anxiety safe and gender neutral toilets. Second tour, someone pointed it out. Like, mm -hmm. What about accessibility? I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, of course. And then I thought I made it just uh, accessible. And then someone pointed out that that's not the same thing as just being wheelchair accessible. Because ex fully accessible would mean... Um, uh, like sign language right, interpreter right, right. and oh, they, they mentioned there's a whole list of things you could do to yeah. make a show finger spelling individually in each audience member's yeah. hand yeah. <laughs> and I was like financially I can't do this yeah, like, I yeah. can't have a sign language interpreter with me to 50 towns in the UK yeah, it's not yeah. possible so I had to just change my language instead of the in an ideal world we could do that in mm -hmm. an ideal world all comedy shows will automatically have a sign language person attached to it yeah but I had to go, oh, sorry, it's only wheelchair accessible. Yeah. <laughs> I promise the rest of it. That's not nothing, though. It's cool. I like that I could do it. Yeah. And it felt horrible when there was one or two venues that failed to do the toilets thing. I was furious about it. Mm -hmm. Really, really. You f really feel like you're letting people down. And, like, venues who they don't understand it and they're like oh no people can just use the accessible toilet I'm like no 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 you can't. that's not how this works yeah yeah you can't do that you can't just shove all the weirdos to one side and have your two <laughs> all the weirdos yeah but that's how yeah. it, it feels yeah. like that and they're like no you can this is this one toilet for you guys over there and then yeah. you have these two because otherwise the other audience members for the other shows will be sad if you ruin right. their gender toilets and stuff anyways that's me complaining um so the last question that i always ask okay which I have every single episode, and I st I'm still not 100% sure how to phrase it. So this is it. Okay, I'm excited. Okay, good. <laughs> so, uh, you're in the delivery room. Yes. And you have just been born. Oh, I'm a tiny so baby. you're holding yourself, teeny tiny baby Deanne, and you're crying. Okay, because, wait, let me just, I have to yeah? say this, because we're in the home stretch of the podcast. Oh, yeah? I've been like, have I been, we've talked too much about therapy, other stuff, but now... You're holding your own self in the delivery room? Yes. This is what this has always been about, isn't it? <laughs> I'm only just getting the gist of this entire podcast. Who starts questions like this? All right, I'm sorry. No, you're spot on. All Absolutely right. You're holding it. your own self. You're holding your own self as a baby, and yes. you're crying because everything's scary, because you've just been in the womb. Yeah. Yeah, that's what babies do. There's <laughs> lights and sounds everywhere, and it's terrifying. Yes. And you know that... <laughs> The next many years of tiny baby yeah. Deanne's life is going to be terrifying. It won't be lights and sounds. It'll be other stuff. Where's going? So you get to say something. It's a little tiny. You can't change oh the gosh. future at all. Right. But she's crying. She's scared. But you know what's going to happen. 
So what will you say to teeny tiny baby you? You're stronger than you realize. Do you still need to be told that? I guess I did. I just let myself flow with it right now. Yeah. I don't know. You're just smiling at me in such a nice way. What else should I say? No, you don't Um, have to say more. But if there is more, you're allowed to say it. No, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah? Like, you're equipped. You can handle it. Good luck to you. Do you believe it? I guess I do. I'm saying it. (laughs) How much do I owe you? No. You're all good. (laughs) You're all good. Usually when I do it, there's some time and then people start retracting or expanding. And it's always interesting to see what way people go if they go oh no I didn't mean that I shouldn't have said it or if they go yeah and you know what else and you know what else no I have to say that even just the concept of little baby Deanne felt so tender to me Mm because I think it's like um, it's maybe part of that shame I was talking about which is both both uh, it's a blessing and a curse is that I am still just a giant child. Like, I kind of know it. And so I'm embarrassed about it when it comes to things like, oh, I don't know if I'm equipped to, like, handle the world or do my taxes. But then at the same time, it's part of, I'm sure it's part of what draws people in and why I'm good at comedy. Because there's, like, a, oh, hey, guys, just, like, a, a wonderment and a, and a joy. So even just the concept of thinking about myself, like, with someone else, and you're, like, and you're a tiny baby. I'm, like, oh, okay, oh feel so tender you're like i'm still the baby yeah i yeah. still feel like the baby <laughs> so, it was a lovely answer um thank you so much for doing this oh my god my pleasure thanks for having me where can people find your stuff they can find me online my name is deanne smith i believe i am the most successful deanne smith in existence right now on the earth so just google the name you'll find me uh everything has an underscore in it on like deanne underscore smith twitter instagram i got a website i'm out there guys and al- do you have an album Oh, yeah, I do have an album, which is maybe worth talking about real quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can find it anywhere. It's called Tell It to My Balls, which when that came out a couple years ago, I got the tiniest bit of flack, not from anyone who was my friend, um, but the tiniest bit of flack from trans women who thought I was making fun of their bodies, which I'm not. It's a joke about male confidence, and if you've heard the joke, I don't think you could have a problem with it, Uh, but it's called Tell It to My Balls, perhaps regrettably. I don't know, but you can find it out there. Cool. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Made of Human podcast uh, with Deanne Smith. Isn't that cool? Um, Always, what I love about you as listeners is that you... um, you will sometimes go to Twitter and then you will tweet at the guests I've had on to tell them how great they were. I love that when you do that. So please keep doing that uh, all the time. It makes me so, so happy because the guests feel so valued and they know that you're so nice. And I so often meet people now who say, oh my God, I've had so many lovely emails from your, from your listeners. And that means the world because then uh, they want to tell other people that it's a great podcast to be on. And then eventually we might get Michelle Obama on the podcast. We'll never get Michelle Obama on the podcast, but you know, you never know. So uh, thank you so much um, for supporting the podcast, all the five star reviews, um, just all the support, all the sharing with your friends and telling people. It's wonderful. So those of you who give me a one off donations via Patreon on madeofhumanpodcast.com, you're great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. To those of you who support via Patreon, it truly makes a world of difference to me. You can't even understand how big of a thing this is for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Mopod, M-O-H-P-O-D. 
and you can decide what amount of dollars, it's dollars for some reason, you can uh, look it up on a currency website, what that is in, in pounds, uh, what amount of dollars you want to give per episode. And then at the end of the month, it just automatically deducts, like a direct debit, it just automatically deducts it. Um, I only get, release one episode a week at most. So you can do the calculations there about how much it's at most going to cost you. Should I change it to a monthly thing? I don't think so. Anyways, if you give um, $5 or more of the uh, for the podcast, you become a friend of the podcast, which means that I will read out your name at the end of the episode and I will butcher your name and it'll be embarrassing for me and for everyone. But it also means that I'll never forget your name. Okay, like I remember I remember meeting Eve Wingrith. No, have I met Eve? I will remember the name Eve Wingrith for the rest of my life, just so you know. So I want to say thank you to these following people. Huge thank you to Kathy Draxelbauer, Robert Knowles, Eve Wingrith, Phil Vabalis, Katrina Ellingson, Rachel Furley, Zoe Cumberland, Marbles Laws, Rachel Ayers, Nina Collingwood, Maya Rainey, Claire McCowan, Paul Swaddle, Swaddle, <laughs> Paul Swaddle, sorry, Sarah Allard, uh, Allard, Allard, anyways, Danielle Rowley, Ronya Ronya, Robert Lee Ken, Kat Posse, Ragdoll, Quincy, Kamaya Overall, Jessica, Sheena Machette, Cole, Gregory Mc, Jane Mahoney, Manson Mia, Hannah Kiel, Helena Thomas, Josie, Lily, Harry Minnett, Cecil Fjeldson, Rachel Hemsey, Mary Fraser, Lucy, Eileen Olofsson, Susie Tyler, Rachel Craftman, Kirsten Davidson, Purdy Patterson, Steph Reen, Ruth Harvey, Katie Hatfield, Robin Cabot, Karen Threthaway, Russell Hughes, Ida Sergo Larsen, Inger Ellingson, Caleb Melchior, Dr. Bodocycle, Squish, Squash, Squelch, Emma Walton, Andy Walker, Geraldo Nascimento, Claire, Danny Beckett, Fiona Richardson, Grace Suter, Kat Piller, Harold Van Dyke, Eleanor, Sarah Ferreira, Eikerset, and Daniel Reifersheet. Yes, we made it. Thank you to Sarah Garvey for producing this episode, to Bailey Leonard for writing and recording the jingle, to Linda Brinkhouse for the logo, and to the Phoenix Artist Club and Peter Dunbar for letting me record episodes there. I will speak to you next Wednesday. Bye. Mm-hmm.